Hello and welcome to Rehab Inc. podcast. My name is Tiffany and I'm a physiotherapy student at the University of Toronto. I'm also a student researcher at the Biomechanics of Orthopedic Sports Medicine Lab at the Faculty of Kinesiology and Physical Education, or in short, KPE. Today I'm joined by my supervisor, Dr. Timothy Burkhardt. He's a KPE professor since 2020 with research interest in injury prevention, treatment, rehabilitation, and orthopedic biomechanics. In this episode, we talked about his journey of getting here and running the lab, the exciting things we do in the lab, and his thoughts on narrowing the research to practice gap. Enjoy! Hi Tim, thank you so much for being on the podcast with me. How are you doing? I'm good, Tiff. Thanks for having me. I'm excited to talk about some of this stuff. I'm excited as well. To start off, can you tell our audience, who are you? What are you doing? So I, I did my PhD at the University of Windsor, and, and there I was primarily interested in distal radius fractures. We were looking at um, you know how people fall and how they might injure or, or break their upper extremities as they arrest those falls. And I went to Western for a postdoc where I met up with Cynthia Dunning. So she was a prolific researcher in orthopedic biomechanics. I'd done a project with her over my PhD and it just kind of made sense to, to go and work with her for my postdoc. So I, I went to Western, um, did a postdoc with her, got introduced to some of the, the orthopedic surgeons at the Hand and Upper Limb Clinic at St. Joe's in, in London. And then I kind of start off my sports medicine orthopedics research when I met up with the orthopedic surgeons from the Fowler Kennedy Sports Medicine Clinic. So it was there that I started to more of the knee biomechanics, the hip biomechanics, and really starting to explore more of those sports medicine orthopedic injuries and, and how we can prevent or reduce the risk of those injuries, treat them better and rehab them better. I, I started working with the orthopedic surgeons there as a research scientist, both through the Fowler Clinic and then also through London Health Sciences Centre or the Lawson Health Sciences Centre that's kind of affiliated with Western. And I did that for a few years. And then I was lucky enough in 2020, right at the start of the pandemic, to get hired at U of T uh, as, a, as an assistant professor in kinesiology and physical education. And I've been at U of T now since 2020. And since I've been here, been able to, again, make more collaborations with the orthopedic surgeons in the city and really continue kind of our orthopedic biomechanics program as I started up the biomechanics of orthopedic sport medicine lab within KPE. You know, we're interested in reducing the risk of injuries specifically in the lower extremity. And, and most of our work is, is focused on hips and knees, injury risk reduction, improving treatment of orthopedic sport medicine injuries and optimizing rehab with this really overarching goal of, can we help people live lifelong mobile lives pain-free? That's really all we want to do. We want to make sure people have the ability to live actively, be able to exercise, run around, play with their grandkids, pain-free with lots of mobility. And so that's kind of our, our overarching goals. And we've got lots of different tools and techniques and, and methods and approaches to do that. Yeah, thanks for going way back to your PhD. And uh, I really echo that passion. For those who are unfamiliar with the term biomechanics or orthopedics, how would you explain these terms to them? So biomechanics is just the physics or the mechanical engineering of the human body. So we're really interested in what forces act on the body and what is the result of that on the body or how what forces are produced by the body and what is the consequence of that. And that extends from the macro level. So whole body, when a sprinter is doing a 100 meter dash, what kind of forces are they producing to make them run fast? And it goes all the way down to the joint level. So what forces or what motions 
is the knee experiencing? How is it rotating? How is there, how is it translating? How is it moving? And how does that affect, you know, whether somebody gets injured or how we treat the knee? And then there's all the way down at the tissue level. So how much force is on the individual structures at the knee or how much does that ACL actually get pulled apart during certain movements? It's all about how the body moves, how the body responds to and creates different forces in the everyday environment from all of those different levels. Orthopedic biomechanics is just taking those principles and applying them to injury and orthopedic conditions, specifically in the musculoskeletal system. So whether that's tendon, injuries or ligament injuries, muscle injuries, bone injuries, all of those things kind of fall under the, the pedic umbrella. And we're specifically interested in, you know, how does the biomechanics contribute to those injuries, but then also how can we use the biomechanics to help treat them and rehab them? So there's like the biology of orthopedic injuries, and that's a whole area of study and research and application. There's the physiology of orthopedics, but we're really interested in the biomechanics of it. So how do the forces, how do the motions act on the body to create injury? And how can we kind of understand that better to, to help prevent or to help treat and rehab them a bit better? I know when I was doing my undergrad in kinesiology, as soon as I was in the course of biomechanics, which I didn't know existed, biomechanics as a field, I was immediately captured by the content and concepts of it. I was wondering, did you experience the same, like being captured by biomechanics and how tissues get injured, how forces go on in the human body? Yeah, absolutely. I kind of had the same experience. I had taken high school physics and I thought that was kind of cool, but you know, that's all based on these metal structures or spring. And then, but I always had this passion for sports and for activity. And so it's probably the same as you when I got to university and got to take my first biomechanics course, I was I kind of instantly fell in love with it. I thought, oh, you know, this stuff is so cool that we can apply those things that we learned in physics class to the, to the human body. And it, it kind of all made sense to me. Part of what I want to do is like instill that in other people that there's these really cool concepts that we can apply that I don't think meant that we don't think about enough, that there's like injury and treatment and rehab. There's these really important biomechanical aspects that sometimes we don't all know about, or we just don't apply enough. And I took all my biomechanics courses in undergrad and I took grad level biomechanics courses and I absolutely fell in love with, with the field as well. That's so cool. Now you've gone far in your career. Have you always wanted to run a lab? Yeah, that is a, a great question. I didn't always know that this option existed. When I first got to university and undergrad, I didn't really know, or I kind of probably thought I wanted to do what most of us want to do is that we want to get into physio or occupational therapy or chiropractic or maybe teaching. I do remember my first orientation session at the University of Windsor where, where I was doing my undergrad. And I think it was our dean at the time had asked kind of everybody what they wanted to do. And all I could think about was sport medicine. I didn't really know what I meant by that, but I knew that I love sports. I was always actively engaged in sports and I kind of always wanted to be in that area. So I did kind of always had that in the back of my mind. And I kind of went through my undergrad and taking the biomechanics courses, still kind of thinking I would do maybe physio or, or occupational therapy, or I had some really great ergonomics professors at at Windsor. So I kind of funneled my way towards that stuff as well. I thought that was really interesting, but come fourth year, I didn't really know what I wanted to do. And I just took a chance. And even halfway through my undergrad, I don't even know if I knew that you could do a master's or like PhD was, or I was kind of all new to this. And I, you know, I'd seen the TAs and that they were doing this research and it kind of started to interest me. And so I just took a chance and, and knocked on a, a prof's door and 
my fourth year and I just kind of said like, I'm interested in continuing to learn and would you take me on as a grad student? And for whatever reason, they decided to to take me on. And first year of my master's, I kind of fell in love with the research. And it was kind of at that point that I knew I wanted to stay in the field of academics. And then I just kept going and lucky enough to get my own lab. That's the message out there for those that it's okay to maybe not know what you want to do right away that you'll figure it out and you, you can still be successful. That's fascinating. Circling back to the lab, now the lab has been established for about three years. What is the overarching goal of the lab now? So we just want to like kind of find ways to stop or reduce the risk of people getting injured. So if we can reduce the number of injuries, then we're doing good. We can find strategies or we can first figure out how individuals are getting injured. Then we can develop interventions to implement that to reduce the risk of them getting injured, which then helps them kind of meet that goal of living long, mobile, pain-free lives. We're fully aware that we're never going to be able to stop everybody from getting injured and injuries are going to happen. And so the next thing is, how can we, how can we improve treatment of those that do get injured so that we can get them moving and in a way that they were moving before they were injured, or at least as close as possible, so that we're maintaining kind of natural joint motion, uh, those natural pain-free motions. Part of that is treating them efficiently so we can get them back to sport or back to activity as quickly as possible, but also as safely as possible. So we know that there's a big mental health component with injury. Part of that is not being able to get back to sport. Part of that is being fearful that when you go back to sport, you might get re-injured. And so some of the stuff that we're interested in is let's get people back to sport or activity as quickly as possible, but let's make sure we're doing it in a way that they're not going to re-injure themselves or that it's safe to do so. And then part of that, so there's the treatment and then also kind of part of that is, is the rehabilitation. So how can we improve rehab strategies? How can we understand, again, from a biomechanics perspective, how rehab is affecting the body in order to kind of optimize those rehab approaches, build better rehab interventions to get them back to sport, back to activity, safer. So I'm hearing two large main pillars of the goal, which is to understand injury, which would help inform how we prevent injuries. And the second is to optimize the process of treatment into rehab, into return to play, so people can get better treatment faster return to play and safer return to play. Yes, absolutely. I should say that I think a large part of this is philosophy of joint preservation. So keeping the joint as intact and as and moving as naturally as possible. And part of that is keeping individuals from getting hurt so that they don't mess up the natural environment of their knee. But also, you know, how does the treatment and the rehab preserve that natural joint environment? And so there's also a lot of work on the treatment of osteoarthritis side of things where we're not so much interested in replacing the joints, but we're interested in techniques and treatments that get to preserve the joint surfaces while still treating certain aspects of the way. It's really about preserving all of this motion, preserving this kind of lifelong mobility, preserving the joint. Yeah. Can you share a few current projects that are going on that speaks to this? overarching goal? From the injury risk reduction point of view, we've got a, some projects where we want to know if individuals, athletes, and even, even non-athletes, if they move differently in a sporting environment or do they move compared to in a lab environment. So most of the injury assessment work that's happened in the past, it's all in the lab, which is good. There's some really great research that's looked at how do people move in the lab and how do we correlate or associate those movement patterns with the risk of injury. We think that maybe if we study individuals in their natural environment, so if you take a lacrosse athlete, for example, and you measure the way they're moving in a lacrosse environment, doing lacrosse specific tasks, will we get a better understanding of A, how they're moving? And can we pick up 
kind of abnormal motions that might be a better indicator of whether they're going to get injured playing their sport. So that's a study we've got going on right now. And we're lucky enough to have a data collection system that is portable so we can take it anywhere easy to set up and we can measure the motions of our participants in their own environment. So we've got lacrosse athletes, soccer athletes, basketball athletes, and I think volleyball athletes as well. And so what we're doing is comparing how do they move in their own environments compared to in the lab where they're doing kind of generic type tasks. And so what we think we'll find is that the, all of these individuals are going to move a bit different in their natural environment. And then part of the study is prospective in nature. We'll, we'll follow them through the next four years and we'll be able to record when they got injured. And then we can determine if any of those kind of sports specific motions that we calculated or, or measured in their sport environment, are those better indicators of whether someone's at risk of injury than these kind of generic general tasks in the lab. So that's kind of like one of the big studies that we have going on in terms of injury risk reduction terms of our hip, we're really interested in femoral acetabular impingement syndrome. One of our PhD students is using computer modeling to look at, you know, what are the contact forces in the hip? And can we use that information to identify who might be at risk for FAIS? So FAIS is kind of a, a tricky musculoskeletal disorder to, to kind of nail down. There's this weird cycle of our, our abnormal motions caused by the FAIS or is FAS causing these abnormal motions? And we think that using these modeling techniques can help identify, you know, what's going on inside the joint in a non-invasive manner. And so we've got some other studies around the FIS as well that's looking at things like sports specialization. So if you sport specialize, if you specialize in a sport too early in life, are you at risk of these kind of biomechanical or these mechanical hip disorders? In terms of like the treatment and rehab, one of the things that we're really interested in is instead of just looking at endpoint assessment. So instead of just looking at is somebody jumping a certain distance or somebody jumping a certain height, what we want to be able to do is take a more global look at this and look at how they're getting to those points. So using some statistical techniques, can we actually categorize the entire motion cycle? So we can look at how they're moving. So if we take the horizontal jump, for example, can we look at how they're kind of loading their musculature? What motions are they using through that kind of lower extremity chain at the ankle and the knee and the hip to generate that power or generate those forces to get to that distance? And so what we're hoping what we'll find or what we think we'll find is that individuals who have had an injury and may have been cleared to return to sport might display different types of motion patterns as someone who's healthy or has never had an injury even though they might pass a return to sport test based on how far or how high they can jump. So really kind of trying to find more efficient means or more effective means of assessing whether somebody's ready to go back to sport or not. Oh, Reed, that's all really cool. You mentioned the unique equipment that we have in our lab, which is miraculous motion capture being an advantage that allows us to study the difference between people that are moving in their own sporting environments versus in a lab which is very closed, very structured, controlled. Wondering if you can elaborate a little more on this technology and also some other things that are unique to this lab or being at U of T or Toronto that facilitate the goal of the lab. Yeah, so the markerless motion tracking one is, is a relatively new technology. We were lucky enough to get a system when I first got here, and, and essentially we can track motions. Traditionally, if anybody's been in a, a gate lab, probably had marker those kind of sticky markers put on you they're reflective and it takes a lot of time to set up you have to put them on all the anatomical landmarks they can move as you're jumping they can move relative 
to the underlying bones, but this markerless system is nice because it doesn't require any markers. So it's based on a, a machine learning algorithm. We've got eight cameras and we kind of plug this into the, the machine learning algorithm and it's able to identify where the bony landmarks are in space. And then from that, it can calculate the different joint kinematics. So it can calculate ankle, hip, knee angles, up some upper extremity angles as well. And so the, the real benefit of this is the time. It's much more efficient. We don't have to set up all these markers. But as I mentioned, the other real benefit of this is the portability. So all we have to do is set up the cameras in any environment, take the video, and then analysis can happen after the fact. We don't have to have wires running everywhere. We don't have to take our data collection computer with us. So there's real, I think, opportunities to get some real, like in, like similar to what we're doing is some real in-environment data. And, and for us, that might be sports specific. For others, maybe that's in the actual clinic, or maybe that's wherever you're collecting data. Maybe it's in the workplace that provides maybe better data. One of the things that we're hoping to do with, with some of my clinical collaborators is actually set a system like this up in the hospital. And so our, our plan is to have as many of these orthopedic patients go through a gait analysis in the clinic and it's relatively efficient to do with this markerless system. And we can then start to build these kinematic databases where we're gonna have eventually hundreds of kinematic profiles of anybody that comes through the clinic with an orthopedic injury. The other things we have in the lab are pretty typical of a biomechanics lab. We've got our force plates, got EMG that we use, and then we've also got our markered motion tracking system. Just for those who are unfamiliar with the term EMG, it stands for electromyography measurement to measure muscle activation so we can see how muscles are working, how much force they're producing. Yeah, so so one of the great things about being at U of T is that it, it's a medical school and there's a really nice orthopedic sport medicine program here. So I work with four or five of the orthopedic surgeons in the University of Toronto Orthopedic Sport Medicine Group, and they're all kind of across different hospitals and they're all keenly aware of the importance that biomechanics plays in orthopedics and orthopedic surgery and so they've been absolutely essential in working with to keep our program up and running you know working with them does a couple things it ensures that the work we're doing stays clinically relevant that what we're doing has an impact that we can translate the knowledge we develop in the lab and we can give it to the surgeons or the clinicians right away obviously the hope there is that it, it changes clinical practice for the better the second thing it does is it ensures that we always have work. So there are so many questions that those guys have. And so there's just, there's so much great research that we get to do with them focused on orthopedics. And so that's a, that's been a, a huge thing in being able to get my, my lab up and running as quickly as possible is that there's so many projects to, to do with them that it's, it's just been great. Yeah. One of the things that I am really personally passionate about is having a close connection between researchers and clinicians. And that's a part of the reason why. I'm interested in podcasting efforts to bring these people together so we can better inform each other. Uh, I wonder in your situation, how does that process actually play out? How, how do you connect with these clinicians and what, what does the collaboration like? Yeah, so I think this is a really great initiative doing this podcast and having researchers on as well. I think we're at a critical point in time where we need more of these relationships. And I think we're doing better knocking down those silos and not just having our clinicians and we don't just have our researchers, but we're really starting to emphasize having those two groups work together. Because I agree 100%. Like it doesn't matter what I do in the lab, doesn't matter if it's not getting out to the people that need that information and journals for a while were good. And most clinicians have access to journals and they can get that information 
but I think we need to be more proactive in getting our messages out. And those collaborations between the researchers and the clinicians is kind of where that happens. And having good knowledge translation plans is also important. And I believe fully that for the rest of my career, I will collaborate with clinicians. It doesn't make sense for me not to. Like I need to have them there, again, to make sure that the work we're doing is clinically relevant, but also that we get that information out and that they're the ones that are going to use it. Teaching hospital like Toronto, generally the clinicians are they're teaching at U of T or they're teaching the med students. So there's a chance to give them the information, but then they get to pass that information on right from the trainee level. So we can kind of start translating our knowledge to the trainees that are coming through and instill those different philosophies in them as well, or teach them the current knowledge. And the same, I guess, would be true at through the physio schools and making sure that you guys have the most up-to-date knowledge or that the, the instructors and the clinicians have the most up-to-date knowledge trickles down through all the trainees as they're coming up through. And then they kind of translate that knowledge out as well. So for me, I, I was lucky enough at, at Western, my supervisors were already collaborating with all the clinicians. And that was kind of the model that they had in place for a while. So I was lucky enough to see that model and learn from that model where all of the researchers in orthopedics worked with a clinician. They worked with the residents and they worked with the fellows. Grad students worked with the residents and fellows. So it was this really nice interconnection between the research and the clinical side of things. So when I came to U of T, one of the first things I did was try to connect with as many of the orthopedic surgeons as I could. And we're starting to establish that same type of model where I'm working with the surgeons, but now we're also working with the residents and the fellows. I'm trying to incorporate my students more working with the residents and the fellows to kind of establish that type of model here as well. Cause again, I think it's so important for getting our information out and I don't think we can improve lives or we can't reach our goals as a lab if we're not getting the information out to the people who are really yeah, going to use it. Thank you. That's really amazing. I hope those who are listening, if you're a researcher, reach out to clinicians. If you're a clinician, participate in research. In the work that you do and the collaboration model that you have right now, do you see any challenges or areas of improvement that you'd like to work on? Yeah, so maybe it's a good challenge that there's just so much to do. There's more questions to answer than we have time for. So that's definitely a challenge. I think one of the things I would like to do or that I need to do more of is I have collaborated really well with the orthopedic surgeons, but trying to collaborate more with the physios and and establishing those connections is important too, to help. The orthopedic surgeons are kind of checking the box on the treatment aspect, but there's a whole area of rehab that we need to do and, and collaborate more with, with the physios and the rehab specialists. I guess I've been pretty lucky that the people that I have collaborated with have all been open to collaborating. And other than time and money, there really aren't too many challenges that we have in terms of being able to work together. You've mentioned two times just having these collaborations and so many problems that we can solve. There are so many joints in the body, but each joint has its own plethora of research questions that we can tackle. How do you go about that? That's probably the biggest challenge is just there is so much to do and the problems at the knee are, there are problems specific to the knee that maybe aren't specific to the elbow. So we need a whole bunch of researchers to look at the elbow and the shoulder and the wrist and, and what we're doing in the lower extremity, we're at least aware that just because someone has a, a knee problem doesn't mean the problem is isolated to the knee. So th through our different kind of data analysis techniques, trying to identify relationships between the ankle, the knee, the hip, likely the trunk plays a role as well. And, and so trying to look at it from a systems approach instead of just you tore your ACL, 
it must be a problem at the knee when likely there are issues or things going on at the hip and the trunk and downstream at the ankle and the foot that are contributing as well. There's some other groups internationally that are taking this approach as well, but I, I definitely think that a more systems level approach is more appropriate and likely will give us more accurate data. But you're right. It's, it's kind of mind blowing to think that probably spend my whole career just looking at the leg and others are going to spend their whole career just looking at, at the spine and the same for the, for most of the surgeons, they spend all of their time doing ACLs and knees and there's hip experts. And it's amazing. I think it just talks to the complexity and the amazing human body that it's just, it's so complex and there's so many moving parts that it's, it's hard to focus on one and then or it's, it's hard to kind of look at it all at once and you kind of have to focus down and look at one section or, or one segment at a time. Absolutely. Again, the human body is just so complex and so amazing. You need a whole career to really understand one joint or maybe even generations of researchers to know the joint. And then now you put together the hip, the knee and the ankle all together. How does this work together? Which is a part of the thing that I appreciate that we are looking at the human body as a kinetic chain, like everything is connected together. One thing affects the other. In my work, for example, uh, when I coach uh, a squat and squatting technique is not good. I, I don't only look at the knee, but also look at the hip and ankle. I think that's a really good approach there. So now the main goal of the lab being understanding injury, injury prevention and optimizing treatment and rehab processes. And you talked about some of the research that are currently going on that speaks to these goals. What are some future directions of the lab, let's say in the next decade? The goal is to get some more equipment in so we can start looking more at a multi-scale, multi-level approach to what we're doing so the way we're set up right now is to look at global global motions joint segment motions like we just talked about understanding what's happening at the hip knee and the ankle being able to get some imaging equipment into the lab would be wonderful so that we can start looking at more structure level type stuff and how that's affecting motions and responses and then being able to get back to kind of where my roots were which was cadaver stuff and looking more at the tissue mechanics and being able to quantify things at the tissue level as well. But then taking all that again, similar to how you know we're interested in the relationship between the whole body of the system, like the whole lower extremity as a, as a system, being able to look at all of those levels as a system. So how does the tissue mechanics affect the joint level, affect the tissue level or the segment level, and then kind of being able to incorporate that into our basic science to clinical research back to basic science cycle. So what can we learn in the lab from a basic science level? How can we translate that to the clinical level? And then what can we learn at the clinic level to feed back into the basic biomechanics level and just kind of keep this cycle going where one is always feeding into the other. So it's never ending loop of kind of discovery and then refinement until we can really optimize it. And so I think continuing to work with the clinicians, building better and more relationships with other types of clinicians is going to be essential in doing that. I think over the next five, 10 years, being able to establish some really great new interventions to help address the, the issues of injury and, and injury risk reduction. I think that's definitely on our radar and, and getting those implemented at a eventually a global level. One other thing that we're interested in long-term is how do we incorporate technology, right? There's no denying that technology is playing a huge role in every aspect of our lives and it's no different in injury risk reduction and, and rehab. And so how do we then 
take all of these new technologies that are out there and incorporate that into what we're doing. Hopefully in the next 10 years, we've reduced the number of injuries and we've returning people back to sport. Yeah, I'm seeing a very comprehensive vision to have the basic science informed, applied science, finding the basic science and so on. Do you see a difference if there were no funding, time and resource restriction, the work that you can achieve versus there is obviously these restrictions in reality? Yeah, I think so. Like I would say... Time and money are probably the biggest bottlenecks in, in all of this. And, you know, we need better funding. We need to fund our scientists better. There's my rant for today. I'm not the only one. There's more senior scientists that would agree with me as well, that we need better funding for this, especially this stuff. Orthopedics prevention is the ultimate money saver. Like if we can stop or reduce the number of people that are getting injured, the return on, on investment there is huge. So if we can invest more money into these research programs, then I think it, it returns on itself. If we took out those barriers, then I think the research gets done more efficient. We can do more in a shorter period of time. We can hire more trainees, which I'm extremely passionate about, is making sure that I've got a really good set of grad students, undergraduate research students. So being able to, to train the next generation of scientists and clinicians is important to me. And, and so taking out those the limitations of some of those resources would ensure that we could have more of those students, more of those trainees in the lab. Not having time or money restrictions also opens up how big your projects can get and how much the types of things that you can do. So you can have more equipment, you can, you can look at things from different perspectives. Is there a reason why scientists or more specifically orthopedic biomechanics science is not as funded as well as you want to be? You know what? I don't know. You gotta have somebody from CHR on to to ask them that question. I should say there are some really great like orthopedic biomechanics projects that are funded by our funding agencies. And I'm personally funded by NSERC, so I, I can't slam them too much, but I would think overall we do need more funding. As a researcher, how much do you identify yourself with rehabilitation? Obviously our podcast name is Rehab Inc. So I'm curious that question, what role do you see yourself play in rehab? I see myself as providing information to the rehab specialists and that's kind of our goal is to to provide information so that you guys are going to do the heavy lifting. We're going to provide the knowledge, we'll give it to you and then it's up to you guys to apply that and make sure people are getting healthier more efficiently. So I think, you know, we're we're knowledge creators. It also falls on us to not just put it in a journal, not just like passively put it out there, but to be actively communicating with the rehab specialists and making sure that they're aware of what we're doing and that they are providing their feedback and their information and they know to our projects as well. So that it's, again, this kind of cycle that here's, here's what we want to do. Do you as a rehab specialist think this is important? And if you do, you know, how can we make this better to make sure that, you know, it's something that you think that you could incorporate into your clinical practice. I just see myself as a, a knowledge generator and it's really you guys that have the big effect on getting that information to patients and implementing it. And you, know, you guys are the ones that make the difference in patients' lives. So that's kind of where I would see it is. Right. So the whole flow of knowledge from knowledge creator, and then there is the knowledge translator and the knowledge users. Obviously, ideally, there will be constant flow both ways. And what you're talking about, the, the knowledge created from the research side of things, getting used by the knowledge users, the rehab specialists, this involves a translation process. And would you see the knowledge creators as primarily responsible for the translation process or 
who else do you think should be doing that? Yeah, I think that needs to be a collaboration too. I think we do a study and we get good results on something and we put it in a journal. Is it just going to be other researchers that read it? Or is it going to be a few kind of really dialed in clinicians that are going to read it? I don't think that's enough anymore. I think as the knowledge creator, we need to be more actively engaged with the knowledge users. So try to do that with our, our orthopedic surgery collaborators, but we need to be doing it with our physios and our occupational therapists. And we need to be having these dialogues about you know, what's the best way to translate this information to the people we're collaborating with, but then how do we get that out to all the other rehab specialists? So I definitely think there needs to be more communication amongst us. There needs to be more collaboration amongst the, the researchers and the clinicians. And I, researchers, we need to be, I think, actively involved in getting that information to the people that it needs to get to and not just kind of, here's what we know you do with it, what you think you need to do with it, but having those kind of active relationships where we're involved in that as well. But then, you know, taking the feedback, like I said, creating that kind of lab or basic science clinical cycle where develop the knowledge, see how it gets incorporated and then take that feedback and, and refine those things in the lab and continuously work in this research slash translation cycle where we can get knowledge out as quickly as possible. A common saying that I've heard is that research and practice, there's generally a 10 year gap. Do you see that in the area of orthopedic biomechanics? I don't know if, if it's quite 10 years, but it's definitely too long. I mean, I would say that's definitely true in like the sport performance, strength and conditioning world, that that's probably true. Things do happen a little quicker, I think, in orthopedic biomechanics. Like the surgeons are pretty good about, or at least the ones that I work with are pretty good about changing clinical practice if they see something that requires clinical practice, practice to change. But it, I would say it's definitely not instant. And, you know, coming back to this, am I changing the practice of just the four surgeons that I'm working with, or are we, is this leading to greater clinical change. So I think locally, it probably happens a bit more quickly, but globally, or kind of on this more macro level, it probably does take a bit longer, maybe not quite 10 years, but certainly longer than it should be taking in, in 2023, with all of the communication devices that we have, and all of the different strategies that we should have at our, our fingertips to get information out, I think it's still taking too long to make clinical change happen. Yeah, absolutely. And Ultimately, the goal of the lab is to impact lives. So we got to get this information out as soon as we can. One thing you mentioned of the active relationship between yourself and the clinicians, and that helps them incorporate newest research evidence in their clinical practice. And you talk about globally, when you don't have that relationship with every single orthopedic surgeon that's out there, they may need to take some time to get to know of uh, the work that we do. What are the things that can facilitate that process? I think, you know, one of the big things that we do is present at conferences. It's a good way to get the information out there, especially at the clinical conferences, to stand up in front of other orthopedic surgeons, rehab specialists from around the world is obviously a good way of doing that. One thing I think my group specifically that we need to do better is the use of social media. There's definitely a, probably a better approach that we could be taking to get our information out there. I'm kind of like, I'm just old enough to not be savvy with social media. Trying to develop those types of strategies, we're using those to our benefit because there's some really great orthopedic surgeons. I know there's some great physios uh, and rehab specialists on Instagram and Twitter, and they do such a great job of getting their messages out and starting dialogue and that's probably a, an approach that our group for sure myself specifically needs to to do a better job at there's an opportunity to reach so many people yeah i feel you though in terms of social media there's a huge potential to make a big impact 
and get the word out there. Well, going back to the time and money restriction, everyone is busy and passionate about the research work and everyone has their own strengths and that social media is not necessarily a strength of us in the lab. <laughs> now, we've been talking about this knowledge translation process to clinicians and rehab specialists. What about the lay public? How is your research connected to the lay public and how would you want to facilitate the process to the public? It's probably my least effective area in knowledge translation. And one that I think many scientists probably lack at is getting the information to the lay public. I think we, we can do a better job. And I think one of the ways that we can do that is by similar to the way that we collaborate with the clinicians is collaborating with patients. So there's a big push now in kind of the, the orthopedic space, in the rehab space to include patient advocates and patients themselves in the research process. So getting feedback from, so if we were doing an ACL study, including an ACL patient on our study as a contributor to what we're doing in the research. I know there's a, a lot of this goes on in the osteoarthritis space where they include osteoarthritis patients in the design of their studies and get feedback from the patients and they include them as advocates and as contributors to the research almost as a collaborator and not just as a participant. I think that really enriches the research and it begins to make connections with the public and it helps to, to make sure that if you're generating materials for the lay public, that they are digestible and they're interpretable by the public. So I think that's something that we'll try to do moving forward and model it off after some of the really great osteoarthritis researchers that have started to do that. Mm -hmm. So you have a lot of connections with uh, Toronto Hospital Network in terms of clinicians. And I'm hearing that you are wanting to work on having more collaborations with perhaps people who are good at knowledge translation. Is there anyone else that you would like to collaborate to advance the work of the lab? Now that we're out of COVID and we're, we're relatively back to normal, we'll start to make more international collaborations and, and start working with other researchers in the areas that we're researching in that are not just in Toronto, but that are outside of the area. So I still collaborate with some of my colleagues from Western, but expanding that to working with individuals in the States. And there's lots of great ACL and osteotomy research that goes on in Europe. So trying to make connections that way, again, kind of hits on the how do you globalize your research, but also brings different perspectives from different healthcare systems and different orthopedic approaches. So there's certainly those type of people that we would want to work with. Wonderful. Thank you so much for sharing in this episode. I hope the listeners now have an understanding of what orthopedic biomechanics is and see the very exciting potential we have in the present and future research in this area and having a perspective of what research to practice would ideally look like. Tim, do you have any last final words for the audience? Thanks for having me on and happy to answer any questions. If the audience has any questions, they can reach at U of T or you know, I'm always happy to talk about the work that we're doing. So I always appreciate having mediums like this where we can have these conversations. You can get reach me at timothy.burkhart at utoronto.ca. And we do also have an Instagram page at BOSM underscore lab, where we try to post things related to the research we're doing. So you can always check us out there. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Rehab Inc. podcast. To support us, please subscribe and rate our student-run podcast on Podbean, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, or Google Play Music. You can also find us on our website, rehabincmag.com slash podcast. That's R-E-H-A-B-I-N-K-M-A-G dot com slash podcast. 
Stay tuned for future episodes on rehab, research, and practice.